Hello and welcome back. It's episode 109 of Cambro Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation is a solo Q&A with myself. Topics that I'm going to talk about in the 26 questions include investing, time management, the weekend, does practice make perfect or improvement, do I see myself leaving Glasgow, and much, much more. It was a fun one to record and I'm looking forward to hearing what you all think. If you didn't get a chance to ask a question you've got this time, make sure you are on my email list, which is linked in the show notes. You can join on that and you get exclusive content every single Sunday and you can ask a question for the next Q&A, which will be in April time. I also released on there the list of guests for February. So if you're eager to know that, and you haven't already got it, then when you get the welcome email to the email list, please raise that with me, and I will send you the list of guests for February. The guests list is absolutely sensational, and I've managed to squeeze this episode release in on a Wednesday, meaning that you're going to get two episodes this week and five episodes in February rather than just four. I hope you all enjoy this episode, and if you can do, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're listening on there, and Take the time to dive into the back catalogue, copy and paste the link to one of your favourite episodes to three different friends, and let's help the show grow, reach more people, and enable me to get more fantastic guests. Thank you all for your support, and I hope you enjoy this episode right now. Yes, we're back with another solo Q&A. As always, trying to break up the run of guests. Every nine episodes, the 10th one, I will do a solo Q&A. We've got 26 questions to get through from the listeners on Instagram and my email list. And there's a wide range for me to dive into. Question number one, how do you research and find investments in the S&P 500? The beauty of this is I largely don't research many individual investments within those 500 companies. I simply buy a fund, which is a tracker for standard and poor indexes of the biggest 500 companies in the USA. It's a good way to get exposure to lots of different companies, 500 in total. And it's been seen as a good performer largely over the last number of years. The last couple of weeks have been a bit rocky, but they have been for every single asset class, including stocks and shares, crypto, property, everything like that. But I'm looking bigger picture and the longer term horizons. So individually, I don't research those stocks, but you do get exposure to your Apples, your Teslas, your um, Microsofts, and a lot of smaller ones that are still in the top 500 largest companies. Question two, have you ever had to bite your tongue during a podcast? Yeah, I have a number of times. And as a host, I think that you should, because you shouldn't completely agree with absolutely everything that every single guest says, or even just how they say their point as well. However, the show is not about me, and it's certainly not about arguing with a guest. I don't think that makes for a good conversation. I'm there to facilitate a conversation and enable the guests to share in depth their point of view, their thoughts, their story, whatever it is that we're going for. And there's a number of episodes coming up actually where I just let the guest go and add in little questions, little prompts to delve a little bit deeper so they can explain their viewpoint and allow us to gain more understanding of what they do without me necessarily saying, excuse me, I don't agree with that. I would say, okay, well, why do you say that? I know, what do you mean by this? Or you said that this was the case. And then I let them expand upon it. Somebody coming on the podcast is not an endorsement of their viewpoint. It is merely an endorsement of their ability to hold a conversation on a particular topic. They may well be completely wrong. And I might bring on somebody in the weeks uh, after that, that completely contradicts that. But that's the nature of long form conversations. I do think there's an element of feeling nervous that you've spent a lot of time getting that guest onto the podcast. So if you were to have them on and then sit and argue with them, I just don't think it'd be a good use of either of our time and I don't think it'd be a good listening experience either. A recent example was actually when Josh Shea discussed his conviction related to 
off the back of his porn addiction. And I let him just give context and talk about it without jumping in and passing judgment on the nature of that conviction, which was pretty serious. Um, but instead it made for a better episode because it allowed him to just explain the situation behind it and discuss it. And then you yourself as an audience member can make a judgment on what he'd done. Question three, are you worried self-development is pointless with the advancement of tech, such as the metaverse? Tech is advancing and moving very, very quickly and making many, many things obsolete. But I wouldn't say it's making the need to be the best version of yourself any less important at all. In fact, you could argue that with tech upskilling and removing more and more menial tasks or what were previously considered like box ticking exercises in, in, in a job, these duties are being removed. So it actually makes it more important for you to be valuable both to yourself, but also the wider, wider world and to have a skill set that tech maybe can't replace as easily. And that a lot of that is down to like maybe how you communicate, how you speak, how you communicate with other human beings rather than how you interact with a machine because AI is moving so quickly. Question four, another investing one. Do you hold any more stocks or index funds than the S&P 500? I've just opened a Vanguard account. First of all, well done for getting started with your investment journey. I've got a Vanguard account as well. And across the Vanguard account and the Hargreaves Lansdowne account, I've got the two different brokers that I use. I have eight investments. Uh, one of those is an individual stock in an electric car company. One is an individual stock in an airline, which is not performing well at the moment. And the other six are what you would refer to as funds. They are either trackers like the S&P or the FTSE 250, which is the, the British equivalent for the biggest 250 companies in Britain, or they're a set blend and percentage split between equities and bonds. To understand more about that, you need to go back to episode 42 with Andrew Craig, or you can read his book, How to Own the World, or you could even read, I think I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sehi, who is an incredible author as well. Uh, but yes, I've, I've got a lot of different investments within both those and some different exposures to different risks, some of which are doing better than others at the moment, but largely over the probably four or five years when I've been investing, they've performed better than if it was sitting in my current account. Number five, what would be your ideal location and setup for your next property? That would massively depend on whether that property was one I wanted to live in myself or it was one that I was buying as an investment to let out. I suspect if it was to come in the next 12 months, it would more likely be an investment property to rent out rather than one for me to move and live in because I'm quite settled where I am. And capital wise, I would probably need more money to buy a house that I wanted to live in that was an upgrade on where I'm living just now than to buy a property that I would deem acceptable to let out to, to a tenant. I think I'd need to look somewhere that's a little bit cheaper than the one that I live in just now as well, because I just don't have the capital available to put down a really sizable deposit for a house that's worth more than my current flat. And it would need to be relatively near to me then for me to manage that. So it'd probably Glasgow based and it would give me peace of mind as it's my first one. I would understand quite a lot about the process. I might well use a letting agent to manage it. This is all hypothetical, by the way. I haven't actually uh, said that I'm going to do this. I guess it's just potential on the horizon. I would think areas like Partick, Denison, Finiston, or even out closer to me in Annie's Land would be potential areas that would have a good rental yield. I think Partick would probably be the most expensive to buy in, so that might eat into the money that you would get as part of your uh, return. So I think Annie's Land might be a good area. I know a lot of friends that have bought in Annie's Land to live, but I know that the rental yields are okay as well. Equally, the rental yield for the flat that I live in just now was excellent for the lady that owned it before me too. Um, side note, the capital that I would have put into property had I not become interested in crypto is now in my Swiss Borg and my ledger. So I, I don't really have a deposit sitting around uh, that I'm looking to spend on a property at this moment in time, but uh, I am aware and awake to the possibility in the future. Question six, but philosophical. What does practice make? Perfection or improvement? The answer's got to be improvement. I'm so far away from perfection in so many of the areas that I practice. Take podcasting, for example. Take lifting weights. I am getting better and I'm improving at both of these things, but I'm so far from perfect. There's so much more to 
push on and achieve and I probably never will achieve perfection because perfection would feel like completion or finality and that's very very far away and probably probably an, an impossible goal so I'll keep practicing with intention in the areas that I really want to and hope that I continue to improve question seven do you see yourself leaving Glasgow and living somewhere else interestingly my last career the industry that I was in insurance there was a little bit of an expectation that in order for me to progress to my absolute best I would probably move to London to fast track my career in the industry that I'm in now the furniture industry there's not quite that same pressure because there's a little bit of a a focus on me really driving things up here in the north of the UK ironically I am actually spending a lot more time south of the border in this role than when I was working in insurance for Marsh but it's, it's about once a week at the moment, sometimes more than a couple of days. But that's more servicing customers than me needing to be based down there. And I would never rule out moving down south, but I am quite settled in some ways, but I'm certainly not shut off because I don't have the world's biggest ties. I, I have my family and a lot of my friends here, have my property here, but I don't have like a, a partner who I have to consider. I've just got a brother who <laughs> I live with and well, he would maybe consider moving as well. We're both open to the, the opportunity. And the other thing I've, I've thought I've thought about for a while is how good would it be to live in an environment that was sunny pretty much year round and you didn't have to worry about the, the Scottish winter that we're, that we're still in the depths of. Even though it's not been too cold this year, we've only had one kind of really cold period. It's still quite measurable. Question eight, what is your hair management if you feel like you're losing some? Um... I've spoken quite honestly about this when the podcast got its first ever sponsor, which was Sons or Care for Sons is their website. Now, I knew I was genetically predisposed to recession and thinning around the temples from quite a young age based on my grandparents and my parents, uh, or my, my dad in particular. And I took finasteride from the age of 21. So that's eight years now. Um, that is shown to be an incredibly effective drug, but one that has some incredibly harsh potential side effects if you're not somebody that deals well with that particular drug. Um, side effects include things like depression, uh, sexual dysfunction as well. So significant life-altering things if it's allowing you to hold on to a bit more hair, what impact is, is that going to have in the longer term? It's got an excellent track record of working in terms of retention, particularly on the... Uh, on the crown, but also in terms of the thickness and fullness of the hair around the temples. Although I've certainly had some recession and loss during the years that I've taken it, it's maybe been minimized to what it might have been if I hadn't have used finasteride. But if you are worried about that, then I would very much take your time significantly to research this. There's loads of great YouTube videos now, eight years on from when I was looking at it, there's a lot more resources to look at and you would need to make a considered decision about whether you would want to take some of the potential risks touch wood i've not been badly affected by it but i know people who have used it for a couple of months and had to stop because the benefits weren't worth the downsides question eight favorite gyms to train at whilst traveling with work i've been very fortunate in the last few years and probably more so again since i moved job to train at some amazing gyms in the different cities that i'm at when when i'm away with work sometimes i do grin and bear it and i'll use a pure gym but I'll caveat that with some pure gyms are so much better than others. Some you go into at peak time and they are like a jungle. Weights everywhere, plates on the floor, dumbbells. The, the 30s, they're in the, the rack for the fours. It's just absolute chaos. But then others are brilliant. There's, there's one in Manchester. I think, it's, I think it's Urban Exchange. And in Springfield, is quite a good one as well. Uh, but then I've been to others in other cities. And my goodness, like it's just a pretty horrible workout. And you just go and get it done uh highlights recently i would say would be ebor fitness in york it's a classic old school bodybuilding gym s20 in sheffield ultraflex in rotherham and then even just last week at the time of recording it's uh, the 31st of january and this will go out at the start of february i was at temple gym in birmingham which was actually where dorian yates trained and built his physique these were all really cool gyms and i enjoyed the atmosphere in them and it's it's nice that you're when you're away with work you you do something interesting with your time and tick a box that you wanted to tick anyway and 
I got access through Hustle, which is the, the Gym Pass website that I work with. Um, I first used them in like 2014. So it's been a bit of a godsend because while you can sometimes get a code from a friend for a pure, you can buy a day pass from pure going to different gyms that maybe have slightly more specialist bodybuilding equipment and a bit more of an atmosphere uh, can be pretty good. And Hustle have over the, like basically they bulk buy day passes, meaning that when you buy a day pass on their website, it's cheaper than you would get over the counter at a gym, which is always good. Question 10, how do you balance the podcast with your current job? There's a couple of time management questions in this podcast, so hopefully that's going to be helpful to people. But largely it comes down to priorities. I make an hour of recording over Zoom or in a studio per week, something I need to do. It has to happen. It's non-negotiable. That's just a one-hour Zoom call, and I think a lot of people can fit in a one-hour Zoom call. The actual challenging part around the podcast is the preparation, the research, the approaching guests and booking them. And then the social media uh, clip creation and the admin and the promotion around that is where time is really spent. And that's where it, it, it kind of batters into your week. So um, a, a bit more difficult in that sense. In work, one of my hacks is that I have a preference for taking the train when I'm traveling down south. And that buys you hours and hours and hours back that you don't lose to driving. Meaning that when I'm on top of the work in my corporate role, I can do podcast development work and prep when I'm on a train at like 6am or when I'm on a train back at night at like 7pm. I'm probably on top of my work for the day. So I wouldn't be doing anything if I was driving, but instead when I'm on the train, I'm able to carry on and, and get on top of my work. Equally, I think I use different times to create. Now, what I mean by that is when I'm out my steps, I will take notes on my iPhone about questions or topics or potential guests I want to speak to. And it's just become a bit of a habit at this stage to use that time when I'm feeling creative to take down some notes. And that's a bit of a time spend. Like we're, we're all doing something when we're at a walk, aren't we? Not often I'm very, li I'm listening to something and my phone's away, but sometimes I just get thoughts and I'll, I'll put them down on my notes. The train hacks are a big one, though, for utilizing my time around work and my commute to, to be creative. The last thing I want to give on this topic is a dose of reality, because <laughs> I'll admit that I don't have the same amount of downtime that some people do enjoy, and some people find that very important. I don't find some elements of downtime that a lot of people enjoy that valuable to me. I don't enjoy it that much, so... I've seen the odd thing on Netflix, but best believe I rarely watch anything during the week, really. Like, I'd be lucky if I clock one episode between Monday and Thursday on any show. My switch off is much more reading books before bed as part of my kind of pre-bed routine rather than like TV or streaming. So instead of maybe like creating or sorry, consuming a, a, a Netflix episode, maybe I am doing podcast preparation instead and that, that that feels like fun to me which might sound sad to some people but that's how I'm wired at the moment and what, what I enjoy question 11 what car are you thinking of buying next that's a big question because it will actually be three years in March so a couple of months time that I bought my golf TSI I bought it secondhand at the time it's like a 2016 plate golf um however while I like a solid reliable and relatively good car like a golf when I look at my values, a much, much better car, like a really fancy car, isn't actually top of my priority list and it doesn't really light my fire that much. Don't get me wrong, when I see certain friends getting great cars, I'm like, oh, that looks amazing. Like, you must love driving that. And I like driving my Golf and I'm sure I'd love driving some of their cars. But it's not, it's not like a massive pressing value and I wouldn't allocate a percentage of my capital towards it based on the enjoyment I would get back. Whereas I know other friends that absolutely love driving. They're like a total, what you would call like a petrol head or in the future it'll be an electric head <laughs> based on where we're going. Um, but if I was to see like maybe big returns on some of my investments or maybe I was to hit like a particularly massive bonus in work and uh, gain some more commission that, than I was planning for, I would probably get an Audi again. I had an A3 in one of my jobs uh, after university and I like that, but I'd probably go up to maybe a more saloon type, like an A4 or an A5, but I'd probably be tempted by like something like the S4 or the S5, just based on that, but I, I don't really know how much those are, and I'm not a big fan of PCP. I, I've bought any car that I've had has been owned, unless it's been a company car, um, so that would be the, 
the priority um, if I was to go looking in that space. But it, it's not an immediate pressing issue at the moment and it's some way off before I maybe get a new car. I think I've told myself if I could get a particular bonus in work, um, which will probably be paid end of 22, start of 23, then I would probably consider upgrading big time. Question 12, any life choices you regret heavily or play in your mind often? I don't have massive regrets. A lot of what we experience, I think, is actually quite important and valuable and it provides lessons and it's how you frame these things that that really, really matters. However, it definitely plays on my mind that I didn't do a business-related or finance-related subject as a joint honours with my politics degree because that would have been really valuable and it would have taught me a little bit more actionable info that I could bring into the areas that I've worked in in terms of sales and account management roles and financial services and and now the furniture industry I think those some of those classes and modules although everyone says business degrees aren't great there would be something in there that would be would be helpful beyond that it's mostly standard stuff that you regret like start the podcast sooner take action double down on creating instead of consuming at a younger age like disregard the criticism from people who are just uncomfortable with the fact that you're doing something different or trying to grow and just follow a more purposeful, fulfilling life at a, 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 a quicker period and disregard the opinions of others. But that they, those are just niggling regrets that everyone has. I don't think there's like a, a, a seminal moment in my life where I'm like, oh God, I wish I'd, that, like that was a terrible, terrible thing. And I, uh, that's ruined what's happened for me moving forward. Question 13, this is so interesting to think about. If you were to do a team CrossFit challenge, who would be in your team? I've seen loads of these online recently and, uh, I think turf games, national fitness games, and high rocks are the kind of ones that I see a lot of people competing in. And I think they're CrossFit, but they're more like functional fitness as well because CrossFit is probably a bit more technical, but people can, can can correct me on that. I think they're mostly teams of four from what I've seen. I've seen some individual, but obviously we're doing a team event here. I'm going to pick from a couple of people locally and then one of my friends online. I'm going to pick Graham Halliday, some of you will know him as Elation Fitness. He's based out of a gym in Summerston in Mary Hill, just outside Glasgow. And he is a total athlete. He actually finished sixth in the professional uh, ranks at High Rocks just last weekend at the time of recording in January 2022. And uh, it's joke, he's the Glasgow Ollie Marchman, but he really is. He's in incredible shape, but also strong, athletic. So Graham would absolutely have to be on the on the team if he would get involved. Next is going to be David Hatt, who many of you know from previous podcasts. He's the founder of MTN. He did the National Fitness Games last summer, and he's a real hybrid athlete. He's strong. He's very he's he's lean and athletic, but he has like springs in his uh, <laughs> in his heels. He's, he's 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 super bouncy. And if he turned his mind to training that way, which I think is actually the plan for him for most of this year, I think he'd be a really really good addition. Last but certainly no means least is Alex Dick Cleland. He was on the podcast, episode two, actually. And he's another athlete who actually works with factory weights. So I've done some functional fitness style workouts with him and I've seen how, how good he is at them. He competed last year as well, formally, in like a in a CrossFit style competition. I, I'm, I think he won. And his programming the last time we caught up in Manchester was the Matt Fraser program, who is well, was one of the best CrossFitters in the world. So Alex would have to be on that team. So that's a pretty strong lineup there for a, for a guys event. I'd obviously make up the four-man team and goodness knows how I'd get on. Because I think one of the big challenges I find with these events is the weights aren't scaled to your body weight. And while I'm fairly strong for my body weight, I'm still quite light, like 75 kilos. So some of the, the snatches and the cleans and presses and stuff would be really heavy for my body weight because I would just be up against guys who are maybe a bit bigger and a bit heavier than me. Number 14, if you could pick one guest to feature on Cambro in 2022, who would it be and why? Whenever I'm asked this, I still gravitate towards James Clear. He's been on my list since I started the podcast because of the influence that Atomic Habits had on me as a positive aspect. And it's also had a, a big effect on a lot of the guests who've come on to speak as well. And that name, James Clear, is becoming more and more in reach. And a lot of that is down to the consistency of the podcast, but it's mostly down to 
to uh, hard work, but also, and I'm going to say mostly down to the listenership, because as the audience grows, it allows you to approach bigger guests and make it worth their while to come on and have a conversation. And what a conversation I would have with James Clear. There's so much to cover. And within an hour, we would just unpick some of the lessons from within his book and just reinforce them because I love hearing the same information just delivered in a different format and a different style and a free-flowing conversation. I'm sure that would be really powerful and I'm sure you guys would love it as well. I will definitely need the audience to keep growing to do that, but the power is actually in your hands there, to be honest. Now, while I sometimes if I get like a really marquee guest and they share it on their Instagram story or with their followers, we'll reach some new people, which is amazing. But the power is really with the people that are already listening and enjoying it. And so if you get a chance, please share your favorite episode you've listened to with three friends that you think would enjoy it. And if plenty of people who are listening to this podcast do that, we will we will triple the number of people listening to the podcast and quite quickly guests like James Clear become in reach. Guests like Naya Rial recently, I mean, I, I couldn't have got him six months ago, but uh, the podcast has grown to an extent where it was possible. In fact, he'd actually said no, I think at the start of 2021. Um, so it just shows what happens when people do share the podcast and, and, and help me question 15 interesting considering what I've just discussed would you do the podcast if no one listened yeah I definitely would because I enjoy the process and I get to talk to amazing people for an hour every week every week for the last almost two years I've spoken to somebody interesting I've actually done it more than an hour a week just based on the number of episodes released and the fact it's valuable to you, the listener, is a huge benefit. But of course, as a host, I need to enjoy the process or it become a chore and like a really arduous task that I wouldn't enjoy. Question 16. What would you rather have and which do you think is best? A hole-in-one at golf, a one-four-seven in snooker, or a nine-dart finish? Going to caveat this. I don't really play snooker or darts. I do play golf. So my appreciation for the other two is going to be lessened because of my lack of experience in those sports. So I'm going to pick the hole in one as I'd, I'd absolutely love that. It's never happened to me. Ian it rubs in my brother that he's had two hole in ones and I've, I've not had any in terms of skill. I think they all require a really high element of skill and it's like top level mastery of your sport to achieve those. Like some you get, you do get like lucky hole in ones. Of course you do in golf. But I think like to do like a one four seven or a nine dart finish, a lot of that is down to like it happens at the professional level, I would imagine. I don't know how many snooker players manage a one four seven. I don't know if it's like a once in a tournament thing or like a once in a year thing for certain players, or how many dart players do a nine dart finish. But based on the maths that I just like objectively thought about was if you if you do a 147, you need to pot 36 shots, I believe. But if you do a nine dart finish, that's nine throws of the dart. So I think just in terms of pure volume of repeating the skill to its perfection, the snooker achievement would be slightly harder. That's just my, my caveat. But for me, it's got to be the golf one. Question 17. Do you have any advice when switching industries and general career path? It's a great question. I was actually asked this in a recent interview with Johnny Rose uh, of Slater Menswear, who has his own podcast, The Story Club. I was the first guest on his relaunch of the podcast. And my advice is going to be split into three areas. Number one, move for the right reasons. If it's a quick buck and you see yourself making just a little bit more money immediately and not over the longer term, you're doing yourself a... an injustice in my opinion consider what you can do within the industry that you're currently in and if you're in it and you can compound on this on the years of experience you've got within that industry it might be worth sticking where you are however if the move that you're making feels deeper than that and you can see a path that you would take forward that would be really beneficial then it's going to be a better decision to make the move and it's not just something that's short term so making the move for the right reason and not just immediate gain or immediate escape from discomfort in a role that you maybe don't enjoy. Maybe you just need to move company um, within the same industry. But what's to consider there? Number two, think about the skill set that you have beyond the industry you work in. By that, I mean, what have you learned from the time in your current career? And what can you take that's a transferable skill to other careers and other industries? 
Are you analytical? Are you a good public speaker or presenter? Are you organized? Are you great on Excel? Are you somebody that's very technical and takes in vast amounts of information and is able to explain it really basically to a customer or a colleague? These are all skills that you need to consider where you can apply those. Because once you understand what you're good at, you can look at industries that will reward that. So for example, I worked in sales and you can sell lots of different products if you get yourself up to speed technically on the product that you're going to go and sell. But that's the same for lots of different roles as well. If, if you have a skill set that's really obvious and you've grooved it and you've improved on it, then go and apply it in another sector that rewards you more or you enjoy more. Right, number three. This really helped me as well when I was moving. Get the inside scoop. And by that, I mean, not just from the company that you're potentially looking at moving to, that's maybe speaking to you or offering a role, but ask other people that are in similar roles that you're going to go and do or you would consider doing to talk to you about the realities of it. What does a day look like? What's the money like? What's the progression been like? What, what are the company that you may be going to and maybe not telling you about what life might actually be like? Because then you understand how is this actually going to look when I, when I go and do this? And you have a very clear picture of whether the grass is actually indeed greener on the other side, especially financially and lifestyle wise. You need to understand what you're going into and not be maybe seduced by novelty and something new. Question 18, what three songs by the weekend resonate with you the most? That is such a hard question. And I think it's actually tough to pick three songs that really, and the, the phrasing of the question was resonate with you because <laughs> the life that <laughs> the weekend Abel lives is, is, is quite a mad one. There's a lot of drugs for starters that I maybe can't relate to too much but he's, he's a cool guy and his lyrics are very, very powerful. So I think some of his lyrics hit you when it comes to like how he connects with people, how he supports the people that have been around him from the start, how he uh, like works hard and hustles and things that he loves. And also like some of his like relationships and sexual encounters as well. So the first one I'll say is Heartless, which was my most played song of 2020. So that's going to have to be up there. It's got some pretty hedonistic con connotations and can be quite shallow perhaps, but that resonated with me at the time because at that point I just ended a relationship and I was like single guy again and thinking about like, I'm like, I'm like really high value and um, girls should want me and all that kind of macho stuff that you get go through your head when you're going through, going through that kind of situation. So yeah, I love that song. Second, I'm going to say Live For. It's probably not his, uh, one of his best known ones, but it's one of the earlier songs that I really enjoyed when I was first getting into The weekend, And it's got a good beat and a main chorus to it to listen when you're like working on something or trying to create or when you're training. And he's just really just reinforcing in the chorus about like, I'm living for something, I'm working for something that I'm passionate about and what I do. The third is one that somebody I really like features on it's crew of and I've seen him perform this live with Drake in 2014 at the hydro in Glasgow and it was unbelievable again it's like a bit aspirational about their come up and their journey and, and how they've made it but it reinforces that they're still sticking with the people that supported them during that time and that they're bringing the people who helped them up with them on their journey which I think is something that's cool to resonate with and associate with 19, what's your sobriety latest? That's me a month off it and I'm feeling focused. Well, first of all, well done. I know so many people who benefit from extended periods. I would caveat that with, I say, I think dry January is easiest period to be sober unless you're somebody who really hates the, the winter months and gets really bored. But a lot of people do dry January, so there's maybe less temptation and less events. We've got less money to go out as well. But taking a focused break and being intentional with our consumption of when we do decide to start drinking again and being more selective of the events is a total superpower. Regarding my own sobriety, I last had alcohol in October 2019, so it's well over two and a bit years now. That was my birthday night out, and I've not had any since. Depending on what I book this summer, I fully expect to have a drink on holiday if I'm at Ocean Beach in Ibiza or some sort of similar event where having alcohol would heighten the experience and add to the enjoyment of the situation. It wouldn't be something that I would enjoy as much sober. So that's something that's um, at the front of my mind. There's very few events in the, in this country, particularly in Scotland that I'm like super attracted to drink at. 
as I don't think it would be that effective a choice of stimulant, and I don't think it would be that beneficial for me. I'm going to caveat all of this for people that don't know that I have not loved drinking for such a long time now, and going totally alcohol-free as I have done in the last couple of years was a lot easier when I was already very selective four or five times a year from graduating in 2014 for the next five years. It makes it a lot easier to go to zero from four or five than it does to go from drinking every weekend to going a year sober or two years sober. That's a lot bigger of a jump. So if you're somebody who's maybe stuck in that pattern and you're wondering, oh, maybe I don't want to be doing this, that's a question to ask yourself and maybe take a 90-day break would be a would, would be a good start point to challenge yourself and see what the benefits are like. Question 20, do you have any daily do do you have a daily schedule that you could share, specifically your non-negotiable and good habits? Okay, let's take a day when I'm it's like a standard day working at home and it's going to include a training session. My morning routine is I wake at about 6 6:30, I get up go to the bathroom, have my water and my supplements. I do a little bit of stretching and loosening off with some resistance bands and some hip mobility and some bird dog and thread the needle and all that good stuff. I then normally jump in the shower. Uh, it's not a cold shower. It's not a warm shower. It's just a, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not really massively into cold showers at the moment. And after that, pop my clothes on pop a podcast in and go out a walk as much as possible. I'm trying not to be my phone at this point. So my non-negotiable is to not start answering WhatsApps or Instagrams or searching on uh, the internet or doing, or checking my emails or anything like that. After that, I am going for a walk for about 45 minutes an hour. And I get back, I log on my work laptop. I get my breakfast out and ready and I do a little bit of my Instagram content before I really get into deep work for within work. So this is probably like quarter past, half past eight in the morning at the latest. And I'll do 15, 20, 30 minutes sometimes at most uh, on my laptop, on my mobile, updating my Instagram stories, replying to DMs and just creating any content that I need to do. I then have my first block of focused work and my non-negotiable here, which from the terms of the question asker put in, is I'm trying to have my personal phone outside the room and I'm trying not to log on to Twitter or Instagram or personal emails during my first block of nine till 12 when I'm, I'm trying to be really proactive and focused within my day job. And what a difference that makes. Like my mornings are <laughs> so good when I do that. And that is a game changer for freeing up time and not having to work late and do whatever else. Then it's 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime, I have some food, and then I go out for a 25, 30-minute walk. Again, I'm on my phone when I'm out that walk, and I'm updating uh, socials, dealing with messages, chatting to people on WhatsApp, being social, and then I get back, and I try and have another block of like two, two and a half, three hours of focused work before I have a pre-workout meal, which is like carb-heavy, and I have my Monster or Rain or whatever I'm drinking, and then I'll do I'll do a little bit of socials while I'm having that meal. And then I'll go back to like a, a good like hour, hour and a half, two hours of focused work before I log off about five, half five. And then I go and train. So my non-negotiable is that the laptop goes away. Even if I've got work still to finish, I'll close the laptop. I'll go and train. I'll serve myself. I'll train, work hard, and I'll come back. And if I need to, I'll, while I'm having some dinner, I will log back onto my work laptop and do some work. Or ideally, I will be doing some sort of podcast content creation, email list work, whatever it is. So within that, you can see there's a few different non-negotiables. Steps in the morning, hydration, digital minimalism. Digital minimalism when I'm back and uh, <laughs> uh, getting back to work. And then at lunch, I'm making sure I get up and away from my desk and move. It Rain, hail, shine, snow, whatever. I need to get out and move. I need to go and get after it. And that makes a massive difference. And then in the evening, it's getting back, dinner, doing a bit of creation. And then the kind of non-negotiable at the end of the day is that I use my gratitude journal, which I, I use actually before I go my walk in the morning, forgot to include that. But screens are off about nine. 
9.15 and I'm unwinding before uh, reading in bed or doing some gratitude journaling in bed and just get myself ready to have a restful sleep. So those are some non-negotiables and good habits within that. Most working at home days look like that when I've got a training. Um, when I don't have training, I sometimes work a bit later. I'll maybe go to the golf range during the summer. I'll actually go to golf. And that serves me really, really well. And some of those habits are rock solid and they happen 99% of the time. Not every day, but more often than they happen and they work really, really well. So that's like a daily schedule for me. Question 21, will you be trying the new chicken Big Mac? Yeah, I'm up for that. I'll get involved. My standard McDonald's order was always two grilled chicken wraps. Whatever the wrap of the day was, it might be peri-peri or uh, I can't remember what the other ones were, barbecue chicken maybe. But they stopped doing grilled wraps during the start of the pandemic, which is just one of these ridiculous things where you ask a customer service-related question, somebody says, sorry, that's because of COVID. And you say, well, COVID stopped you grilling wraps, so instead you have to batter them. How, how is that a thing? But it is. So I've been making do with the standard wraps, but certainly up for the, the Chicken Big Mac, I'll get involved. Question 22, thoughts on the Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me? I've not read it, but any David Goggins content that I've come across, I, I quite enjoy watching it and I feel motivated and stimulated. There's definitely times that I benefit from how rock solid and determined his mindset is and how much he pushes personal responsibility. But other times, maybe it's a bit extreme and he's just a bit out there and his worldview is such that I struggle to relate because maybe I don't think life is as hard as or hard for me as he maybe insinuates it might be. But we have a choice to dip in and out of the content creators that we consume based on our need. This is the same as like anyone that subscribes to this podcast. First of all, thank you. But you don't have to listen to every episode. There won't, there'll be weeks and times where you're like, that guest that he's got on doesn't really interest me or I don't really need to think about self-development at the moment. I, I want to listen to this. I want to listen to something more lighthearted or I want to listen to another podcast because there's only a finite amount of time that we can listen to these things. So... I think Goggins has got his time in place and actually previous guest, Sarah Allen, which is way back in the archives now and maybe episode 40 odd, Sarah loved his book and she used the accountability mirror to improve herself as a CrossFit athlete. So there's absolutely a time and a place and most of us could probably benefit from greater personal responsibility for where our situation is and what our circumstances are. Question 23, this is a real thinker. How do you and Ian manage to live in harmony together? Do you ever fall out? First things first, I think it's really important to have like agreed upon boundaries and things that you each do. So we have like different tasks that happen around the flat and different duties, like taking the bin out or wiping down the oven or like cleaning our bathrooms and stuff like that that happens every single week. Now, caveat that, we do have a cleaner that helps out every Tuesday, but we obviously do an upkeep of it outside of that. But having these hard and fast rules of what your responsibility is and what his responsibility is creates a lot less friction and it reduces the chance of arguments over stuff that you would always argue about. And we're both quite similar in the aspect that if we felt we are pulling our weight but the other wasn't, that would be a cause for uh, a butting of heads. We both work from home, which can lead to a lot of time being spent together. But that's actually bizarrely been a positive in the last two years because when socializing has been reduced in other aspects and some things were closed and whatever, actually having somebody to talk to to break up an eight-hour workday that's not a, a colleague has, is, is, quite, is quite beneficial. We do have really clear time apart, though, and we go separate walks at morning and lunch. We're not walking together. We often train at different times. Maybe he'll train at lunch and I'll train after work or, or, or vice versa. And we almost never do the same gym session when we both go to the gym because he's in a different program and I'm a different program. He doesn't really like training with people that much. And we'll probably train together like once every couple of months or if we go to like the garage gym, we'll sometimes do a session together because it'll be a bit more of like a, a wad rather than like a, a bodybuilding session. And that helps. But of course, for breaking like time up with each other we, we're less likely to have more friction or, or rub against each other but we do still argue and that's inevitable with anyone you live with and it's usually about like different things we maybe want for the flat in terms of purchases so if we're replacing uh a piece of furniture he'll have his opinion i'll have mine 
and and that's that's just standard and there's some like silly stuff like we'll argue over the time that we're going to play golf in the summer so on a saturday i'll be like oh i want to play in the morning and then i'm going to go to the gym in the afternoon and he'll be like oh no i want to go to the gym in the morning and we should get afternoon tea time and 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 that's standard but largely one of the ways that we avoid conflict is by having like a clear set of agreed upon uh behaviors that we both adhere to Question 24, are you concerned about deep fakes due to the amount of your content? That's quite a thought, isn't it? It's a real possibility that somebody could form all sorts of sentences and videos and whatever else with the content that I've produced over the years, both audio, visual, written, whatever they were wanting to do. And it could be really incriminating if somebody was absolutely hell-bent and that was their goal to try and (laughs) get me in a lot of trouble. But I would hope that wouldn't be top of some malevolent actor's list of priorities to destroy. Let's be honest, I don't think I'm that big a fish in the pond that I would be the target of that. But who knows? Beyond the just like cutting like the videos or the audio of that I've created, there's actually apps now where based on the words that you said over all these hundreds of hours, you can write text and the artificial intelligence will combine the words that you said over a period and try and level out the, the phrasing of it. So if I elevate my voice every time I say yes, they try and make it fit within the sentence. So technology is so clever where they could write a really offensive sentence. And if, if I've said some of those words, regardless of what order, they will try and collate them together and use them, which is absolutely wild, isn't it? you're of course limited then to the words that you've used before, but that's some incredible tech and pretty frightening if somebody was was devious enough to use it. <laughs> right, here we go. Are you prepared for World War Three, or are you a soy boy? First of all, I try and limit the amount of soy products that I have based on their potential to increase the femininity in men and they would lower my natural testosterone levels. But on to World War Three. I'm not sure if I'm trained for World War III because I'm not trained in combat in any way or even if I've been mentally ready to go and fight. However, I think keeping in shape and working on your mental strength, your gratitude, your thought processes and your mindset would be a good start. So I'm probably further ahead than, than, than some people, but certainly not a seasoned uh, fighter ready. I think we just need to hope that despite what Russia are up to in Ukraine and the ongoing negative, aggressive actions in terms of the trade situation and the supply chain that the Chinese are pushing, we just got to hope that doesn't escalate. Although there's got to come a point where Western nations try and stand up for themselves again, because the collapse of the West seems to be, seems to be coming. Hopefully that's not too, too dark a, a note for us to approach the end of this podcast on. But if the next war comes as well, I wonder if it would involve troops on the same level that we've seen for World War One and Two, just because of technology. We've got things like drones and different bombs, which is a terrible thought, but um, let's just not try it. Let's try and not get to that, but also let's not appease these global bad actors like Russia and China and North Korea who are pretty despicable if we actually look under the hood. Question 26, and I think this is the last question it is. Question 26, what's your advice for balancing full-time work, part-time study and training, please? So I've got relative experience in this because when I was working in insurance, I was doing full-time work, but I was doing part-time insurance diploma studies and of course, training on top of that. But nowadays we'll just replace what I would call the the part-time study as part-time podcasting. For starters, I think you need to set out what actually needs to be done and then you can work back from there. So start to fill up your calendar and block out the hours that need to be done. So for a week, that might be a total of 40 hours of work. And around that, there's five hours of travel. So half an hour each way. You might have six hours of training and there's three hours of travel around that as well. And then on top of that, you've got eight hours of studying that need to be blocked out in your calendar as well. That might be the magic number. Now I've just picked that out of thin air, but there we go. That will start to fill out your calendar in the places that, are non-negotiable and they have to happen and you can quite quickly see from there what you're able to do now this is based on Nirial's time boxing approach which we spoke a little about in that recent episode 
and it's in full. You can read about it in his book, Indistractable, or even just on his website. There's like a worksheet that you can use. Of course, these numbers that I've picked out are like completely out of thin air, but that should help you to understand what your diary might need to look like. And when you write those down, you need to start to adhere to them because it's very easy if you've bought, booked out nine till one on a Saturday morning for studying. Best believe it's quite likely you might skip that. I think some of the things that I've mentioned in terms of work, training, and study can actually overlap as well, and they're almost like a doubling up effect. So I would ask yourself, can you study or consume some content that supports your studying when you're traveling to work? Are you able to listen to helpful content when you're studying, sorry, when you're working that would help you studying? So I don't know what it's like in your office or your home environment, but sometimes people listen to podcasts during work. They listen to YouTube videos. They listen to music. If you were to replace that with something that enabled your study, you might eat into some of the hours that you are doing something already. So if it's a low level work task that you're doing, which you can do with an element of distraction, then you might benefit from that. Lastly, I'm going to say that weekends are going to be crucial here and they might allow more time for like longer, like more arduous training sessions. So you have more rest days during the week that you can study on or you can work more on. But ultimately, these are going to be your biggest windows for study or training on weekends. And it's an unsexy suggestion, but a good sleep routine that you maintain on the weekends that roughly mirrors your working week would actually open a lot more hours. I certainly found that when I have like a relatively similar sleep time and wake time on weekends, wow, it frees up so much time. If I, like maybe I don't go up at six and a half, six in the weekend, but if I'm thought of like half six, seven, seven thirty, I've got so much time <laughs> compared to if I was to have a massive lie-in. Now that's not to say if I'm not out like late socializing, I, I, I end up sleeping in a bit later but also my body clock starts to wake me quite early as well. So this is a similar answer to the one that I said earlier about how I fit podcasts in. And I've just swapped the studying element for podcast research and preparation and admin. And it's likely a little bit less intensive than formal study. And I probably get quite a lot of enjoyment from doing the podcast. And you might find the studying quite arduous, but knowing why you're doing the studying and what it's going to benefit you to do is, is going to be really important. But the time boxing approach is going to be vital and just making sure your priorities are straight. Interesting that you guys have asked a few more questions about time management. I'm going to make sure I address a bit more of that on my email list. So if you haven't joined that already, please hit the link in the bio and join the email list, particularly as Instagram continues to strangle creators, reach and whatnot, but we won't moan about the algorithm at all. I hope you have all enjoyed that podcast. We have some incredible episodes coming up. Again, another plug for the email list. Everyone that's on the email list will know who the February guests are and it is it is a seriously good lineup and I'm so excited to bring it to you. During this episode, I told you that my way to get some guests like James Clear on is by the podcast growing. So if you can do, make sure you're leaving a five-star rating on Apple or on Spotify and you are copying and pasting the link to your favorite episodes to your friends so they can listen and they can join the community here at Canberra Conversations. Thank you again for listening. I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.